welcome to this week's sermon from C3 Church Narara. We hope you enjoy this message from Pastor Ruth Browning. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net. Praise God. It's great to be in church. Great to see you all. Thank you, Byron. He does a great job, doesn't he? I tell you what, when those piercing blue eyes look out amongst us all, seeing if he's going to have anything to say, I'm like, I don't know if I want him to say anything to me or not. Like, <laughs> it's a little bit random. A bit scary sometimes. You never quite know what you're going to say. Praise the Lord. Has everyone had a good week? I had a great uh, witness yesterday. I went for a walk. I decided to drive all the way to Copacabana, go for a walk all by myself. I don't have a husband with me. And so I went for a great walk. And then um, I was getting in the car and there was a guy just hanging there, just smoking, just hanging there. I felt the Lord say, go and tell him I love him. So I had a little bit of a battle because, you know, I didn't want to. It's a bit embarrassing, isn't it? I'm just like, she's gone. And I'm like, sort of yes, no, no, yes. And I go, oh, it's probably just me. I'm, it's probably just me. You know how you think that's just me? And then go, but then I would never do that. So why, why would that be me? Because that, I don't want to do it. So why, why would I tell myself to do something I don't want? So anyway, I just went, okay, okay. I just went up, hi. And he goes, yeah. And I go, I'm a Christian and I just felt like God wanted me to tell you that he loves you. He really loves you. And he goes, oh, all right. Okay, well, all right. Well, thanks for that. Yeah, that's, that's, that's all right. And I go, yeah. So that's all. And he goes, so I, I took a step back, you know, a real soft approach. And he goes, so, so, and he wanted to chat. He says, so, so you, you believe in God, obviously. He says, oh, I believe in a higher power and it, da-da-da, and it this. And I went, yeah, he, it's a he, actually. It's him. He, he loves you. It's not an it. It's a he. He, he loves you. Anyway, we had a great chat. We chatted for a while. He was great. I don't know if he's here. <laughs> yeah, but uh, we had a great chat. So be encouraged. Keep going out there. You know, you've got to just get out there and talk to people. I mean, we've witnessed everyone we know, haven't we? You know. They all know. So we've got to keep, keep going out and looking for opportunities and being open to God. It's fun. It's fun. You always feel good when you obey God. You always feel better than if you disobey. So that, it's about obedience. Actually, that's my message this morning. The message is the rise and fall of man. But I feel that God, the, the, the message is obey, to obey God. So last week we preached on Genesis. We've started a series on Genesis and we looked at beginnings. And uh, as you know, I got a bit angry last week because I picked up on the wrath of God, which is revealed from heaven against the unrighteousness and foolishness of man who suppress the truth, don't they? They don't want us to know the truth. Professing to become wise, they became fools. Tried to tell us that this beautiful, amazing planet is not created by an amazing creator. It's so obvious. It really is. It's so obvious. And so today we are going to look at man. We didn't get to the creation of man. Genesis 1, chapter 28. God said, Let us make man in our image according to our likeness. Notice he says our likeness. To our likeness. Let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, the birds of the air, and over the cattle, over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. And so God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created them, male and female. 
He created them. He blessed them and said, be fruitful, multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea, over the birds and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And then in Genesis 2, what we see is that God, there's, it, he go, it, it amplifies this a little bit. We hear a little bit more about how God created man. And so in verse 7, it said, The Lord God formed man out of the dust of the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life, and man became a living being. And so right there is the distinctive point in creating man, that he created him with his word. He somehow used the dust of the earth, but he breathed into him. He didn't do that with any of the other animals because he gave us a spirit. He gave us the touch of God, just that breath. Every single one of us has a spirit inside of us that's from God. There's that, there's a touch of God because we're made in his likeness. We're, we're like God. If you want to know what God is like, look at me. <laughs> kind of sounds a bit funny, but you know what I'm saying. Like God, God has personality. He is not an it. Now, I'm not an it. Don't you go calling me an it. I'm a she. And God is like that. He is a he. He, is, he laughs. He smiles. He, he has character. He's amazing. He's beautiful. When we go to heaven and see him, we just won't be able to stop looking at him. I mean, talk about piercing blue eyes Byron here. God's eyes, just, you, you just, you'll just gaze. You'll never want to look away. At the end of the year, we've got Ian McCormick coming, who uh, we all love. So you've you got to set your friends up because just, we, just, we just love this guy. He's been with us before. But he, he died and went to heaven and came back. And I always remember that he just, he, he just always said, yeah, I didn't want to come back. It was just like, mm, do I have to? <laughs> I mean, creation's beautiful, but... When we see the Lord, when we see heaven, you just, he came back because his, his mum, he knew his mum would, would not know that he was born again because he got kind of born again just as he was dying. So he came back. But, and I, we had him for lunch afterwards and I remember him just saying, yeah. He just was so blase about earth. It was like, oh, you know, I've got to, got to earn money. He's pretty cash about earning money though. And just like, oh. he just wanted to be there. That's what it's going to be like. It's going to be so amazing. But, God breathed into man and, and we became spiritual. We became alive. And God put us in the garden. Verse 15 says, The Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden. And he said, It's not good for man to be alone. I'll make a helper suitable for him. And so then it says that he brought all the animals to Adam. And Adam named all the animals, but there was not a helper found suitable for him. Now, you understand in naming the animals, that's not just like, oh, yeah, I'll call him an elephant. It was, it was, it was when you name something, you, you describe their, their nature. You describe what they're for. So, you know, Adam would have seen a horse and said, I can ride on this guy. This will work. Let's call him a horse. He, he designated their position. So it was an exciting uh, partnership with God in terms of, of working out how the animals were going to work with mankind. But uh, some people probably need to know this. I don't know if you need to know this, but I know I have the odd relative that needs to know this. Animals are actually not suitable as companions for people, okay? So the animals were designed, you know, you can have a dog and that's all very nice, but no, they're not the same as people. So if, you, if any of you know a cat lady out there, or if you are a cat lady... Just, <laughs> are you a cat lady, Emily? <laughs> just, 
just know that we need people, okay? Animals are not enough because there are people. They kind of give up on people and they just do animals. It's like, well, you know, it, that's not suitable for a human being. You need a person. You need to find your people, okay? If, they, if we're your people, come and be with us. We'll love you. But you need to know who your people are. And you may or may not be married. It's great to have a partner in life. But if you're not married, that's okay. You can just come here and we'll be your family. And so it says that he called, the Lord caused a deep sleep to fall on Adam and he slept. He took one of his ribs and from that rib he made a woman and he brought her to the man. And Adam said, now this is bone of my bones and flesh of my flesh. She will be called woman because she was taken out of man. And therefore a man shall leave his father and mother, be joined to his wife and they shall become one flesh. And so there we see that this is the rise of man. This is the creation of man. And it's very exciting. And I believe in this. I believe that Adam was a real man, a fabulous man. He would have been tall. I, I was imagining what he would have been like. I reckon I'm going with about 6'2", maybe, like the ultimate man, like maybe 6'5". I don't know. Would he have been taller? Oh, sorry, guys. I just realised. <laughs> well, I mean, there has been a fall. Like, we're not all... Adam was perfect. Adam was stunning. I mean, God made him. Like, he was just amazing. So Adam was the ideal man. So I think he would have been tall, but he may have been short. I, I don't, we don't know, okay? So, but anyway, he was gorgeous, I can assure you. And then I always think that one of them... I've, I've got in my brain that one of them must have been a redhead and the other one was probably very dark. Because, you know, that sort of covers, the to me anyway, to my simple, my simple biological mind, that would cover pretty much the entire spectrum of, of, the, of DNA, right? So one of them was possibly a redhead, very fair, and the other one was possibly very dark, beautiful, dark skin. I don't know. We don't know. We don't know these things. But, but I do believe that Adam was a real man, that God created Adam and God created Eve, and she would have been stunningly beautiful. And, but... You know, a lot of Christians have got problems with Genesis 1 and Genesis 2. And I talked a, bit, a little bit about that last week and, and, uh, and I felt angry about it, actually. But, but as I've been looking at just going all through the internet this week, I've discovered that even more Christians have got problems with, with Adam and the concept that, that God created a man suddenly like that. And I don't, I don't know why Christians have problems with this. And they, they just... They, they have a, a big, big problem with the concept that Adam just sort of popped out of nowhere. They prefer the idea that somewhere or another we can fit in these billions of years and that Adam, there, there was some sort of evolution. It seems to me the most popular Christian approach is that, look, we know there's a creator, we know God started it off and, and he sort of organised it, but, but we have to have billions of years. So somewhere or not, maybe God just plucked out one guy and he said, you'll do, you you your father looks a bit ape-like, but you're looking pretty good. So we'll get you. You can be the, you can be the dude. That, that, I mean, I, you know, or else they just think, oh, the whole lot's myth and Adam and all his sons that are all quite clearly, somewhere the myth stops and the reality starts because we know Abraham's father and his father and his, it goes straight to Adam. So it, somewhere you've sort of got to stop being a myth and start being real because... You know, Abraham went all the way to Jesus, that we have the genealogy. So, and, 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 and people are twisting themselves and tying themselves in knots, trying to figure out, Christians this is, non-Christians don't, I mean, they don't believe any of it, so they, they, that's fine. But Christians are trying to, they're trying to put billions of years in there. They're trying to put, um, trying to work out how, how it works. And, you know, I just, I don't know, I, 
you can just believe it as it's written. You know, you actually can. It, it, if, you, if you think the science isn't good for that, I can assure you there are some brilliant scientists who believe it exactly as it's written. But they are mocked and sidelined. I, absolutely. Anyway, I mean, it's one thing to say, God, there's a creator, but there's another thing to say that the Earth's only 6,000 years old. I don't know why, but people have a big problem with that. But when you actually look at the science, there's fabulous evidence for a young Earth. It's, it's, it's amazing. I was looking at it, looking and looking and looking. And then I got right into the depths of radiocarbon dating to find out. And again, these guys will show you that there are problems with it. Because it all depends on your basic assumptions. So if you assume that the Earth's billions of years old, every, every piece of evidence you look at, you work toward there. If you assume that the Bible is actually true, you can start with that evidence and believe it. And there are good scientists that do. And if, you, if, it, if it worries you or concerns you, look it up. Get into the, get in, there's answers in Genesis. These guys, they, they have technical articles. They have simple articles. There's guys on YouTube giving debates. There's ex-evolutionists who sort of become young Earth people. It's, it's a... It's a big world out there of, of, of disagreement and argument. But at the end of the day, I just don't see why you don't believe the word of God if you're a Christian. I mean, we believe that Jesus died, went to hell and got raised up from the dead. I, don't, I think scientists might have a problem with that too. <laughs> Do you know what I'm saying? Like, what's the diff? Once you start believing in a God who does miracles, why quibble about a few billion years? I mean... We don't know exactly how God did it. And I'm not going to, you know, you're not going to get cast out of the church if that's what you want to believe. But I just don't understand why you would. I really don't. I said to God, I said to God, um, I said, why don't people believe Genesis 1 and 2? And these are good, you know, good Christian people because I looked up a lot of Christians who I, I, I respect. Why don't they believe it? He said, it's, you've got to have faith. Have faith in God. It's a faith thing. Some people have more faith in scientists than they do in God. And I go, well, where do you get that kind of faith? And he goes, faith comes from hearing and hearing by the word of God. And I went, oh, there's the problem. The reason people don't believe Genesis, don't believe what God said is because they don't believe Genesis 1. They've just decided, I don't believe Genesis 1 and 2. So then they haven't got faith for it because where does faith come from? From the word of God. So if you don't believe that, that word, then you don't, you, you sort of go, oh, I don't, it didn't happen like that. So scientists, show me. Show me what, they, show me what you say. But I can assure you, if you go to scientists, like, this is why I love these guys' answers in Genesis. They start with the premise that the word is true and then work their science from there. And they haven't got all the answers either. But I just like that they start with that premise because we believe the word is true. If Genesis 1 and 2 isn't true, we've got problems. Because if God can't organise Genesis chapter 1 and 2, I said, because I said, what, how, one, another thing I said was, okay, how did you do it, God? How did you do it? Come on. How did you do it? Was it billions of years or was it, how did you do it? And he goes, I've told you how I did it. And I went, he's right. I didn't say, well, what was Jesus like? What was he really like? He said, it's in the word. Well, what are the promises? They're in the word. Why do we suddenly not believe the word when it comes to Genesis chapter 1 and 2? It's not, it's not good. It's not good. We should believe the word of God. So, so I believe the word. I'll tell you just one thing, one thing that gets to me is when you look at especially the radiocarbon dating, they say, well, it has to be billions of years old because, you know, uranium turns into daughter atoms and it takes this long and all that. But it's like their assumption is that it started at naught. But I think, well, let's take Adam, for example. If you've got a very good biological scientist to analyse Adam when he arrived, 
he would have said, right, well, let's have a look at him, maybe take a little biopsy here. Yep, this man is definitely 20 years old, because I'm guessing he was about 20. I don't know how old he was created. Maybe he was created 18, 20, 30. But he was a man, because he had kids, so he was a man. So he would have been old, and a good scientist would have said, definitely 20 years have passed since this, because he's a man. But we know that he was created 20, which means trees were created. Oh, everything was... Nothing was created like baby knew. Everything had, was, was perfectly aged, in a sense, already. So your assumption that you can see how old things are from the beginning is wrong because things were already at a certain established age. Do you see what I'm saying? So, I mean, look, honestly, I've, I've tied myself in knots over this and had a really lot of fun. But at the end of the day, I, I believe in Adam and Eve. I believe absolutely Genesis 1 and 2. I believe it's probably about 6,000 years ago. We'll find out for sure when we get to heaven. And um, I don't think that, you know, it's going to be a, um, a terrible thing. I think you can get to heaven and believe that. That's all right. But I do think it affects our faith. And I want us to be strong in faith. I want us to believe the Word of God, every, every other promise in the Word of God, and be sure of it. And so it's a great place to start. John Piper, who I really like, is a great guy online, says, Evolution is incompatible with God, incompatible with creation, and incompatible with Christianity. God's creation is very good. And here's probably the very biggest problem with the concept of billions of years, is that if you insert billions of years to create evolution, what you're doing is you're using death, you're using mutation, you're using disease, you're using suffering, you're using bloodshed, you're using violence and random chance to create and fashion this beautiful world. And I'm just going to tell you straight out, that's not how God does things. In fact, I don't know any good artists that use those kinds of things to create something beautiful. Those kinds of things are not creative, they're destructive, they're horrible. God doesn't use death to create not at all. He doesn't use suffering to create. His creation was very good. His creation was not full of death and, and nastiness. I mean, there is something very ugly when you, when you see a lion catching a poor little deer and ripping it to part and eating it. And it's, it's a bit like, whoa, you know, because that's not actually the way God created it to be. If you go back to Genesis 1, you can see God says this. Very interesting. Genesis 1, down in verse 20. Nine, he says, I, I give you every herb that yields seed, in other words, fruit and veggies, which is on the face of the earth, every tree whose fruit yields seed, this is for food. So we were vegetarians. We started off vegetarians. We didn't eat meat because there was no death. So we couldn't kill animals. And the reason there was no death, we will find out right now as we go into looking at the, the fall of man. Okay. So oh, just before we do, one thing in, in um, Mark 10, 7, Jesus said this, At the beginning of creation, God made them, humans, male and female. So aside from the gender issues there, it says, At the beginning of creation, God made man and woman, male and female. At the beginning. Now, if you add billions of years in, the timeline that, that scientists use puts man pretty much at the end. We're like in the last million years or something. Not... not so that means that God spent a billion years creating something to put us in. Again, it's like, why, why would God do that? What, if you're going to make a nice bedroom for your kid, you know, and make it all beautiful, you're not going to wait 50 years to say, here's the bedroom. You know, you kind of usually put them in when they're born because that's just logical, isn't it? And Jesus said, 
He made us at the beginning. In other words, day six, that would be toward the beginning. So is Jesus wrong? Is he wrong about his concept of beginnings? Is he wrong? Did he not know? Apparently, according to John, he was there. In the beginning was the Word. The Word was with God. The Word was God. So he was actually an eyewitness, but he was wrong, apparently, if you believe in billions of years, because it wasn't the beginning. So if you think Jesus was wrong about that, because what, he didn't know? Did he, go to, did he come from God or not? Is he, is he eternal or not? He was there. So if he's wrong about that, that it was at the beginning, then, well, he must be wrong about a lot of things. He's not God. It, it's, look, scientifically, you might be able to squeeze a few billion years in there, but theologically, you're going to have some major, major problems. It really does. Death was not part of creation. And origins matter. Origins are important. So, I mean, it's, it's good to know where we came from. And Adam didn't just say goodbye to his half-ape dad and suddenly go off into a garden. There's no record. It's not, Genesis is not written as myth. It's written as history. And, and theologians can tell you that. Just even the verbs they use are real. So let's think about Adam as our father. And it puts things into, in, makes sense because we see how our original father was wrong. He made the wrong choice. And I guess, in a way, it kind of helps us to understand why we made the wrong choice. It helps us to understand where we came from, that we've all got that, that free will. It's a great thing, but unfortunately, we misused it. And it's important to understand origins. I don't know if any of you ever watched those shows. Do you ever watch those shows, Find My Family, or, you know, or Where Did I Come From? I love those shows. Find My Family is especially lovely. Like people who, you know, they were adopted out or they got separated from a family member and they've never known them. So they have no sense of this person at all. And yet when they see them, there's this tremendous emotional impact. And they, and they talk after how they, it filled a hole and they knew that it was there and there was this sense of, oh, you know. That, and it, I love the impact that family has. It's very important. I love that our current uh, system with you know, fostering and adoption is open. I totally believe in that. It's very, very important to encourage people to know their origins. It's part of who you are and it, it, it means a lot. Um, we uh, have a, a, a family member who, not my family, but a close, another family, um, who found out that his father wasn't his father. So all his life he'd been told that he was his father and then um, he got to a certain age and the grandmother <laughs> let it out and uh, that he, the father hadn't been able to have children so he actually had a sperm donor. And um, so his mother was his mother, his father wasn't his father. And I, I remember talking to him about it and said, oh, what was it like when you found out? He said, it was just a relief. It was an absolute relief. He said that I, I just always, my whole life, I felt like something was very wrong. He didn't look anything like his father, obviously. But he just said it wasn't just looking, it was every, everything. Just There was something wrong and I never knew what it was between me and my father. And, it, and he said it was a relief and he had a, a difficult relationship with his father and he said it made it a lot easier because he was able to understand. So don't, family secrets, they always come out. If you, honestly, don't go there. <laughs> they do, I'm telling you, don't do family secrets. Just, just, it's better to be open about these things it's, and, and, and happy. So God is open about this too. No family secrets with God. So he, he made Adam. He gave him a beautiful home. He put him in this fabulous garden. He gave him a fabulous job. 
So the garden had no weeds or thorns because they came after the fall, but uh, it was still primitive and there was still a pleasure in, in, and an improvement that can be done with art and industry. And so, you know, that's, I think, you know, again, if we go back to origins and why origins matter, we see it's good to have a beautiful home. It's good to have an, a job that, that works. And this was his job. He was gardening. And we're certainly not happy if we, if we don't have a job. He had authority. He gave him an authority over, over the earth, over, over the, whole, the whole world. And so that's interesting because we still, we, again, going back to the where we are now, we see man has authority over this earth. And we do have authority over the way we look after it. And hopefully we look after it well. But that came right from the beginning, that we were given that authority. And we're given it to use well and wisely. And then, of course, he was given a, um, a wife helper because it was good for her for him to have a woman but then he also gave him a choice so now let's look into the the fall the sad part he had a choice right from the beginning God was able to give us a free will so if we go to Genesis chapter 3 actually in 16 and 17 we see 2 16 and 17 we see the choice he had two trees and he said you can eat every tree you want but don't eat the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. In the day you eat it, you will surely die. So there it is. God gave us a free will. We can choose. Free will is a, a mystery. It's, a, it's weird. It's how do, we, how do we get to choose? But we can. We can choose. And it's interesting that God said, don't eat it. Now, God is God. He gets to boss us around, okay? He can, he can tell us what to do. That's another part of, the, of Genesis. I love Genesis because every major principle in the world is put into Genesis. All the concepts that we need to know to, to the foundation of our whole life. And one of the foundations is that God is God and he can tell us what to do. He wants to bless us. He gave us fabulous life to start with, but he does say, don't touch that. And he's allowed to. There's authority. He's God. And that authority he gives to us to use as well. We're allowed to have authority. We are parents. We are actually allowed to tell our children, no, you're not allowed to do that. You know, there's a lot of modern kind of thinking that tries to take authority away. But again, we go back to the Bible. It's very clear, don't touch. You're not allowed to do that. And he also said, if you do, you will die. So this is where death came. Death was a result of our choice. And it's interesting that punishment was necessary for Adam, but Adam was perfect. So I find that an interesting concept. Punishment's okay, guys. It's okay to have punishment because even Adam, perfect Adam, needed the boundary, if you like, of punishment to know to avoid something. And so that's, that's where the concept of death came in. Now let's look at the temptation. The serpent was more cunning, Genesis chapter 3, verse 1. The serpent was more cunning than any beast of the field. So... This, was this a, the devil who, uh, you know, took over the snake or took possession of him or whether the snake was part of that? It's, we're not quite sure. It's interesting that many, many pagan religions worship a snake. Just interesting, isn't it? Like, that's obviously not good, but, um, but they do. And they say that the snake created. It's like, he's still lying, the devil, <laughs> taking credit where it's not his. So he starts to tempt the woman. He says, um, did God say you should not eat every tree of the garden? 
So he's putting this doubt, which is the same doubt I had when I spoke to... It's, it's always a doubt, isn't it? Is God speaking to me? Is that God? Is this what God wants me to do? There's always that sense of, what, I don't know, is, is this God or not? I don't know. And that's why we need to spend time with each other. That's why we need to spend time in church, time with God, because it's so important to know what God has said so we can obey him. If The Bible says if we're willing and obedient, we'll eat the good of the land. So my encouragement today is basically look at our father and our mother who disobeyed and let's make that decision to obey. The blessing of God comes with obedience. It's very simple. And unfortunately, there are always consequences with sin, as we'll see. So he said, she said, no, we can do this. And, you know, she clarified the lie. And then he, the devil just said this. The serpent said, you will not die. You will not die. God knows that in the day you eat it, your eyes will be opened and you will know good and evil. So that's just a straight out lie. He just says, no, you won't die. But he, that's, God said you would die. So be aware that we are dealing with someone that just lies, straight out lies, and wants to promise us all sorts of things. Why, why did Eve eat it? It says she saw it was good. It was pleasant to the eyes. It was desirable to make one wise, so she took its fruit and ate it. It's like, oh. So let's just be aware of that whole process. You can see something's good. It's so simple sometimes. I mean, I, I find it sometimes just with food. And it's funny because... It, it was actually food. It was, it, there was obedience and disobedience. That was very serious and food perhaps isn't so serious. But it's just, I just find that sometimes you just see something, you go, I want to eat it. And then your part of you goes, don't eat it. You've had enough. It's like, but I want to. It's like, why do you want to? It's like, it looks nice. It's really simple sometimes, temptation, isn't it? It's not. And so the, the Bible actually says in Proverbs, don't look at the red, don't look at wine when it's sparkling in the cup. Some people have a problem with wine. It says, don't look at it. Be aware that the eye is an entrance to temptation. Just don't look. It's a classic thing. If you don't want to eat, uh, recently I've gone on a, a sugar fast <laughs> because, you know, if I look at it, I want to eat it. So I didn't buy it and I just said no sugar for a week. So instead at night, because I loved, my favourite thing is at night, just, you know, you snuggle down. I have what I call a stash. Does anyone else have a stash? A little chocolate stash? A little treat stash? <laughs> You're laughing at me, but you, you must, everyone... <laughs> So I, I often have a stash, I admit it, and it's, um, I, I sort of have little different things at the moment, it's nougat, I'm very into nougat and dark chocolate, nougat and dark chocolate, I'm like, I'm happy. I don't like lint chocolate balls, yes. Now I know it's a weird thing to put out there, but everyone knows I like chocolate and every, all the time people buy me lint chocolate balls and I don't like them. So I want to put that out to you as a church because thank you for all the hundreds of lint chocolate balls I've received in the last 20 years, but it's got to stop because I don't like them and I keep having to give them away. So just, just putting that out there. Uh, anyway, so um, where was I? Stashes and yeah, so, so I, had to, I, th I thought I, I need to stop this. I don't, like, I don't like feeling that something I have to have it. I don't like feeling that it, it's got a, a hook on me, you know. So, so I went, right, fast, no sugar for, for a week. And so in the evenings I had my bowl of dried fruit and nuts. You know, I had a few little cashew, a few little dried fruit. Yeah, right. You know, so much better, really. But anyway, um, so that's what I had. And you just don't look at chocolate. It's amazing. You just go to the shop and you just look and you go, oh, like, I like. And you, I don't know what your thing is. You need to not look. Just don't even look. You know, maybe you get on the computer and there's certain spot. You just don't go there. 
you know, maybe there's gaming or for some people it is alcohol or whatever it is, you know, that temptation. It, don't go there. Understand this is, this is what happened to Eve. She looked. She shouldn't have looked. She shouldn't have even been there. Just don't look. God said don't touch it. Don't touch it. There are some things we don't need to know about. We don't need to know what... There are, there are whole movies that we don't need to know. We don't... Just be innocent. It's so horrible to, when you look... And then, and then all the light, then you get these games in your head because then the, there's these games, isn't there? Oh, no, it won't hurt. It's just one. It doesn't matter. Oh, I'll be all right. It's exactly what happened to Eve, this conversation of why it, it, won't, it won't affect you. You'll be all right. Or just once or it, it's not that bad. Just understand that this temptation has been going on since the beginning and it's still happening to every one of us. And I really encourage you to learn to be strong to say no. Not to even look, but if you do see, to just say no. We, we have the capacity to say no. Eve could have said no, and how different, how different our history would be. We would have all been living on a perfect planet all this time. It would have been very different, very lovely. But, you know, it, it, we, we went a different way. Eve could have said no, and you can say no. Let me encourage you, you can say no. In Christ, God is your strength. Your strength is in him. And once you call, if you, if you feel like you're not strong enough in yourself, get a friend to help you. Be strong with a friend, but be strong in God and you can say no. And the more you say no, the easier it becomes. The easier it becomes. There's a muscle of, of no to certain temptations. And when we say no, it's easier. But unfortunately, Eve said yes, and then she shared it with her husband. And that's what we do. What is it with sin? I don't want to sin all by myself. You've you got to sin with me. If I'm going to eat too much, so are you. <laughs> if I'm going to do something wrong, so are you. And so we share it around. We share the sin. We don't need to do that. So they made this sin, and here it is in Romans 5.12. Therefore, sin entered the world through one man. So again you've got theological problems if there wasn't one man because what happened to all those other half-ape guys? If Adam wasn't a man, did they sin? Did they all die off? Where are they? We're all related to Adam. It just doesn't make sense. The Bible says it sin entered through one man. We were related to that one man. We inherited that. And it says, and death through sin. And so also death was passed on to all men because all have sinned. And so we see the, the misery of sin. They provoked God. They felt their corruption. They felt dislike of themselves. They had to hide themselves, whereas previously they had no sense of hiding. They felt separate from God. Sin always leads to shame. I, like, when I ask God, what's this message about? Because it's hard to just sort of wander through Genesis 1, 2, and 3. I felt like it's... it's obey God. Last week was have faith in God. This week was obey him. So I just want to encourage you to go through a day. It's a funnest thing. I try and do it sometimes. Well, every, every day I pray and then I go, okay, today I'm going to have a perfect day. That's my goal. Really? I really do. I go, I want to have a perfect day. So I start with prayer, reading the Bible, and then I want to be perfect. So it's like, don't anyone bug me. I'm going to be so nice. And someone yells at me, I don't yell back. I'm, I'm perfect. No, you know, it's, it's a really fun challenge to try and have a day where you feel like you don't disobey God. It's heaps of fun. It's like, can I get through a day on my... Now, obviously, this is only on my level of perfection. God's, this, you know, it just keeps going up and up and up. But it's a fun thing to do. Let me encourage you to want to obey God every minute, all the time, every word. It's fun and it's exciting. And, 
And you see, sin leads to shame. When you, when you sin, you hide yourself. It's, you hide from God. You hide from people. There's this sort of, you know, even if you're, you're physically there, it's kind of like, you don't want to know me. I'm horrible. But, but when, you, when you're open and honest and true and make every effort to, to be perfect in God, you can be so confident and happy. It, life is much nicer when you don't sin. I know. I, I've tr- like I say, I've tried both. I don't, sin is it's awful. And it always leads to shame. And it may lead to everlasting shame and everlasting contempt and everlasting twistedness. Or if you're, hopefully, you can come to Jesus and there's repentance and there's glory. And so we see God in Genesis 3, 8. He's so gracious. He's so gracious. He knew what they'd done. They heard the sound of the Lord walking in the garden and Adam and his, Eve, Adam and his wife hid themselves from the presence of the Lord. And then God said, where are you? Where are you, Adam? Of course God knew where he was. Where are you? Where are we when we sin? Where are we when we choose the wrong thing? Where are we when we say, oh, I can't be bothered with with this or I'm not going to church or I'm not going to pray anymore? Where where are you? You know, where, where are you? And God's asking such a gentle question, isn't it? He could have stormed down with lightning and said, I told you not to do that. And instead, it's just this gentle, where are you? He asks them and he helps them to repent. Unfortunately, there's still consequences. And we can see those consequences still very much in our world today. The serpent was cursed. So in some way, the snake, perhaps it agreed with this possession. So the actual snakes, as we know them, shifted and changed and became legless and... um, and then he also talks to the devil in that curse. To women, the curse was greatly multiplying your sorrow in conception and bringing forth children will be painful and you'll also be in submission to your husband. So, so that's true. I mean, we know, that, we know that that's, that's the way we bring forth children. We know there's a lot of pain and difficulty in that. And with Adam, now the ground is cursed. Before there were no thorns and thistles, but now there's thorns and thistles and now work has become something that's hard. It's not easy. It wasn't just this delight. You know how when you meet a, an 18-year-old guy, they just want to, for work, every, pretty much every 18-year-old child I know wants to either sing or do art for work. They just want, I just want to sing. I want to be <laughs> chatting to someone today. You know, I want to sing. And some of them will. I mean, some of them are good. But, but everybody wants to, I want to sing, I want to do art, I want to be, I want to be a, um, an, an actor. That's the other thing. I want to be an actor. Because young people are still sweet and they just, they don't believe in thorns and thistles. They just think, I want to do something that's creative and fun. And that's actually goes back to Genesis because our original job was just creative and fun. It was just creative. It was, it was creating a garden that had no weeds. I mean, how easy is that? It's like, I'll put this here, no, no weeds grow. And so that desire in us to just do jobs that are fun is very much part of where young people are at these days. It's like, I just want to do something fun because... Why not? Why would I work? It's like, yeah. <laughs> and wise parents have to gently sort of let them down and let them know that work is work. And even if you're a full-time artist, there's thorns and thistles to deal with. You know, you've got all sorts of things to deal with. So that's life. That's life. So now you're all feeling really depressed. <laughs> it's like, great. Okay, Ruth, is that it? It's like, no, not quite. I'm finishing off now. But I have to leave with some hope. So... Then God killed an animal, and now this is the record of the first death. God killed an animal, which, which 
there's a bit of a sense of sacrifice there. There's a sense of Jesus and he covered them in the tunics of that, of that outfit and sent them from the garden. They were banished and they began again and next week we'll look at more of Genesis. So the Bible says death reigned from Adam. Death reigned. But the good news, the good news, the great news is that Jesus conquered death and Jesus redeemed us from the curse. So when we're in Christ, it's almost like we go back to the beginning. We go back to the Garden of Eden. We go back to the promised land. And what was a curse, Jesus has taken the curse of it away. What was, was terrible in Christ can become wonderful. Listen to this. Since, for since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead also comes through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. If by one man's disobedience many were made sinners, how much more through the obedience of this one man, Jesus, will many be made righteous? So be encouraged. We see this curse, but we are not under the curse anymore. Your job doesn't have to be full of thorns and thistles. There's an element where it's still kind of hard and you've got to work through it. But in Christ, you can come through that and you can have victory. The same with childbirth. There is still elements of childbirth that are quite full on. But in Christ, we have victory. In Christ, there's a sense where it's not cursed anymore. We overcome. And we have all sorts of wonder. In this church, we're full of wonderful birth stories because God has blessed that birth now. And what was once cursed in Christ, he's just taken away that punishment. And we don't deserve that because the issue is that we're still sinning. We're still doing the wrong. We still, every day, most of us are still making those wrong choices. And every day we deserve punishment because that's the way, that's foundational. That's the way it is. If you sin, you deserve punishment. And this is why salvation is great. There's no great salvation if there's no Genesis. Because there's no wrath of, if Genesis isn't true, there's no wrath of God. There's no consequence for sin. Then why be saved? But this is the great news of the gospel, that we are saved. There is a great salvation that God in his grace, even then knew that he would send a saviour. Even then he knew how he was going to get us out of this great big mess that mankind had made. And he sent Jesus who redeems us from the curse of the Lord, took the punishment from us. We don't have to get punished anymore. We're not getting sent out of the Garden of Eden. On the contrary, God's asked us into the promised land. It's very exciting. And so we, we see these foundations and then we can be excited in what Christ has redeemed for us and Christ has brought back for us everything, everything that Adam lost, we get back in Christ. It's not fully realised, but we get it back in Christ. So be encouraged, church. Choose to obey because you'll be happier and it's better. But if you do miss it, which we all do occasionally, be encouraged. There's redemption in Christ. There's forgiveness. And we get to start again the next day. Amen. Come on, let's pray. We hope you've enjoyed this week's sermon. For more information or to contact us, visit c3church.narara.net.